Amen. You guys can have a seat. Thank you, worship team. My name is Eric. If you don't know me, I am the lead pastor actually at our Riverdale campus. We have multiple campuses of Alpine Church, uh, but I live in Perry, and you know Brigham City is also my my home. Used to, I used to be the pastor here. You know, Mike and I are like best friends, and many of you are like my family. And you know, one of the things I'm really excited about today was this to use this cup holder actually. They, they had these drinks down there. Um, I've already had three cups of coffee, so I thought, is there any water or something, you know? And then I, this, this, I thought it was water, but it also has caffeine in it, too. So, so we'll see how things go, actually, today. Uh, we, <laughs> we are in this series uh, called Spiritual Warfare, and uh, this is our fifth week and final week in Spiritual Warfare uh, we've talked a lot about how, as Christians, we have an enemy. Matter of fact, we have three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. A lot of us know about the devil. We all know, you know, kind of even the folklore behind being attacked by Satan and that he's out there and he causes all the bad things to happen to us. But oftentimes we don't think about the other two, uh, the world, which is an organized system opposed and sets itself up against God. The word, the orig- the word in, in the original language is cosmos or cosmos. Now, so if you think about the stars in the sky, you know, kind of the universe and everything that exists, that is also called the cosmos, and that really means organized system. You know, just like the stars and the planets and, you know, the rotation and the moon and all this type of stuff, gravity didn't just happen by random chance. But it's an organized system that God created. Well, the world is a place in which God created this earth, but it fell under a curse when man and woman decided to go against God back in Genesis chapter 3, which now is under control of the devil, the Bible says. He is the God of this world. And what that means is is he uses his influence to set up this world system that ultimately leads people away from God, leads people astray, you know. And then there's the enemy that we have called the flesh. And this is one that shocks most people, uh, probably because of human pride. But people look out there at the world and people and say, aren't people basically good? And they're always shocked when I say no. Because the Bible says that we have inherited a nature from the first human beings to go against God. They were created with this true free will. They could choose to go God's way or they could go their own way and follow, or follow Satan and the influence of Satan. They had true free will. But then because of their um, decision that they made to turn against God, there was a curse on them as well. Death enters the world and now... Every decision, every part of the human faculty is, is influenced and even tainted by sin. So it doesn't mean that we can't do good things. We are created in the image of God, and human beings can do good things, but ultimately all of those things are somehow tainted with evil or selfishness in some degree or another. The Bible says in Isaiah, your good deeds are like filthy rags to me. So the greatest things that we can do never measure up to the holiness and standard of God. That is the three enemies that we have. The the enemy against us, the system set up to fool us, and then the enemy that we have 
within us. And here's the thing. Most people don't think this way. Most people just see the physical world. And they say that that's all that there is. It's just what I can see and touch and taste and smell. Like that is what I believe. But if, if you don't understand how the world got to be where it is, well, God is spirit who is invisible, at least to us, that lives in a spiritual realm, a heavenly realm, and through what is unseen, God, he created everything that existed. And so this I would challenge all of us with is that actually human existence is more spiritual than it is actually physical. But the problem is for most of us, we just, we forget about it, right? It, it's not something that's at the forefront of our mind all the time. And then so when we're going through these struggles and trials and battles and things that are sometimes even unexplainable or evil happens out there, we're wondering why, and especially for Christians, we're wondering why life can be so hard and challenging sometimes when we feel like we're trying to do everything that we can. Well, it's spiritual warfare. This is a battle that we are in. And so today, to close this out, we are going to talk about how to get dressed for this battle. How are we going to use the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6? What are some practical ways to be ready to fight the war that we wake up in and are in every waking hour and minute of our lives is a battle. It's a war against those three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's awesome. He's going to use this illustration in his day. He would look around at Roman soldiers and they had a helmet and a shield and a breastplate and, and a sword. And he's using this as an example, the physical world to illustrate the reality of the spiritual world. We don't get up and fight a real physical everyday battle. We're not, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against evil forces in the heavenly realm. That's how Ephesians 6 starts out, verse 11 through 13. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. So if anybody ever told you that becoming a Christian is easy and that if you just put your faith in Christ, it will bring you wealth, health, and prosperity, they were lying to you. Or they're crazy and they just don't understand that actually what happens when you become a Christian, although it is by faith alone and it is simple to trust in Jesus and him alone for the forgiveness of our sins, aside from religious works and duties, that is our simple faith and that is the simple truth. But what happens is, is when, when you jump sides, you jump ship, because the Bible says that we're actually under control of the evil one. We follow after our father, the devil, before we came to Christ. And then when we come to Christ, we've jumped teams now. Now we're on God's side. And so what happens is, is we have a, a target on our back as Christians. And now we're battling against this inner person and an external force all of the time. Does that sound fun? Aren't you excited to become a Christian today? Well, there's a lot of blessing in being 
a Christian. But there's a lot of practical truth about how to fight this war that we're in. God didn't leave us alone. So we're going to pick apart today these, these parts of this armor that Paul talks about. Going on in the verse, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For, for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Okay, you see, there, there are six pieces of armor here. And we're going to get right into each one and how these have a spiritual significance, okay? He's not saying literally go put on this stuff every day and, you know, go to work and go to your friend's birthday parties looking like a, Rome, a weirdo, okay? Like it's Halloween every year. I do, I do have a really cool Roman soldier costume, though, that I did. I think it was the last two years we did Harvest Party. Harvest Party's coming up. Um, I don't know what I'm going to dress up like, but, I mean, hey, this is a good one. This will, this will remind you of all, all these pieces of armor. We're going to get right into what all the, the significance about what he's talking about. This is, this is spiritual illustrations. First is truth. What is this belt of truth? Well, let's talk about what a Roman soldier would look like, okay? So if we break it down a little bit further, before he puts on any of his armor, he wears like a tunic. It's kind of the undergarment to put on before he puts everything else on. And it's almost like a dress, okay? And so it's like a hole for the head, a hole for the arms, and then, and then and it's this piece of fabric that hangs down like a dress. But if you are needing to go to war, running around in a dress isn't going to be helpful, all right? Especially for men. And women, you know, you're not normally going to be out there uh, in the battlefield in a dress either, all right? Like people who join the military, they have a special set of clothing to be able to do what they're called to do when they're in a fight, okay? And so in this instance, the belt then was used by Roman soldiers to be able to tie up all the loose ends, okay? And so they would kind of tie up the ends and tie it around, and it'd be like a sash, and, and it, so it wouldn't be so baggy. It'd be wrapped up kind of like a diaper-looking type of a thing. You know, have you ever had to, I don't know, this is kind of weird, but if you've ever had to wear, you know, a shirt for shorts one day, you were camping or whatever. Has that ever happened to anyone? And you didn't bring enough clothes? Okay. Well, anyway, you would have to wrap it up um, like that so that you could be more agile. And so with this, the spiritual significance is, is, is that, that truth ties all the loose ends together, and it helps us to be ready to have this foundation to where, as it says, stand your ground and be ready to be agile to fight. Well, this truth has to be the thing that ties everything together and, and wraps around us so that we're ready and secure and ready to fight this war. And so we live in a world where truth has become irrelevant. It reminds me of 12 Romans 12, 2, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you, will know, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. There is a war that we wake up in every single day as we look out at this, this system that Satan is in control of in this world, every part of it, 
by the way, mind you, is trying to feed us full of philosophies and ideologies that set itself up against the knowledge of God. Paul tells, that, tells us that in 2 Corinthians, that there are things that we should not follow. This world says that the word of God is not accurate or not true if it, if it offends you. If your feelings and opinions go against what's written in God's word, then your feelings and opinions should be elevated above the authority of Bible and the authority of Scripture. That is the way the world is. That is the world system. People think that Satan is like so obvious that like they're staying away from evil when they're not going to you know, haunted houses or doing seances in graveyards, as if that's the place where Satan hangs out all the time. But the reality is the Bible says he masquerades as an angel of light. He, he tries to take good things or things that are seemingly good to fool us. He twists good things to fool us. So many different things in the world trying to get us off track from doing what God wants us to do, even in false religions. Even in religions that say that they know the truth, that they have the truth with twisted scripture where things were made up by false prophets or false teachers, didn't you know that Satan is at the head of every false religion and false church? It's not just some made up thing that somebody came up with, but if you go all the way back to the garden, Satan in Genesis chapter 3, the first thing he does is deceive by twisting what God said to Adam and Eve. He did not say that you will surely die. He just doesn't want you to, to have the knowledge of good and evil. That's how he fools God's people. There's things that are seemingly good, religions that have people that seem to be morally right and morally good, and, and the system of the world and the lies of the devil is to say, okay, well, then they must be one of us. They must be on their side, and therefore what they do is good. Therefore, I should follow after them and see what they do and, and follow their ways. So the ways of the world aren't just the things that are obvious. There are obvious things out there that completely go against God's word, right? If you have this desire to live or express yourself in a sexual manner, but yet it's against God's word, you know, those things are obvious, that those are sins and we should not live in those and try to justify those ways of living. But Satan also takes things that are seemingly good and right and he just twists them. And if you don't have truth, truth as your foundation, then you might get caught with your pants down because that's what a belt's used for, <laughs> to keep your pants up. So you need need to have a belt. Jesus said it like this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Again, so many people in, in false religions have this system of works-based religion where it's, I got to do this, and this, and this, and I got to follow this standard of rules. And, and Jesus you know, he came at the time, his audience was the Jewish people, and they were in bondage to a lie. They were in bondage of, of what they thought was their way to God. Many men have added to God's word to make it seem like that is the way to follow God. And so Jesus is like, no, if, if you are truly my disciple, you will know my word. You will abide in me. You will listen to me. And the message of Jesus is the gospel. 
that by faith alone in Christ alone, he can set you free and save you from your sin. So that is the truth and the foundation by which we go out and do all of the war that we do as Christians. Next piece of the armor, a lifestyle of righteousness gives, us, gives Satan no targets to exploit because we're talking about the body armor. Another translation says the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this would have probably looked like a big piece of steel. I'm sure you guys have seen this before. You've seen it in movies and things like that. Or it could have been like, like chain mail even at that time. And this was to protect all of the vital organs. And so, so what Paul's saying here is, I think, two things. One is righteousness is something that we actually need to be protected from the enemy. And where do we first and foremost get that righteousness? It's in Jesus Christ himself. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's called the great exchange. When Jesus died on the cross, it, he took all of our sin to him. And, then, and, and, and he took away this debt that we had of sin against him. But he didn't leave us with just a, an empty bank account that wasn't in the negative. He actually imputed, as the, as the theological term, imputed or imparted or gave us, exchanged his righteousness with us, and now we are in God's eyes righteous when he looks at us, because we're covered by the sacrifice and the blood of Jesus, and so we have positionally, this is what we call it, positional righteousness that we didn't earn on our own, but we have the fullness of this righteousness because it is Christ's righteousness that he exchanged with us, the man who was God who has never sinned. That type of righteousness, the greatest that there ever could be, has been exchanged and given to you and me for our sin. But then the Bible also says that we ought to live righteous and holy lives as well. I think Paul gets a lot of this language from Isaiah uh, 59 verses 16 through 17. He was amazed to see that no one intervened to help the oppressed, so he himself stepped in to save them with his strong arm, and his justice sustained him. He put on righteousness as his body armor. This language of this armor thing even goes back, back 600 years beyond when this letter in the New Testament was written that we're reading out of Ephesians chapter 6. It goes on to say, even if you go on and read even further, it says and he put on a helmet of salvation, which is another part of the armor that we're going to talk about. But along with this positional righteousness that we get with Christ, as I said, we're called to live holy lives. And we've talked about this battle that we have in the flesh, this inner nature that we have that we're not going to lose until one day we're taken home to be with the Lord. We still have this battle in the flesh. Paul talks about it in Romans 7. There are things that I do that I don't want to do, things I want to do that I don't end up doing. And he says, who's going to save me from this body of death that is attached to me? And he says, thank God for, for Jesus Christ. That is the answer to this body of death. But then it goes on to say, but you were given the Holy Spirit now to follow God and to live a righteous life. And so not only are we positionally holy, but we're also called to live practically holy. And that means to follow the word of God, to look at it and say, okay, God, you've done so much for me. How can I love you back? 
How can I do what you want me to do? Again, this is not a religious thing. I'm earning my way to God. I already have a great standing with God. But if he loved me so much, why wouldn't I want to just love him back to do what he said? When you are in love with someone in a loving relationship and they ask you to do some things, you, you want to do it. You don't always do it perfectly. I know that in my marriage, I don't always do the things perfectly that my wife asked me to do, but I wished I could, you know? I want to, and that's part of this struggle in the flesh that I have is, and that we all have is that there are things that I know is right that I should do and I fail, but one thing I can say about my own life is if I look back 10 years ago to now, I have become a lot more like Christ. I've become more holy. I've become more righteous, and that's the fruit of faith, is, is being able to see evidence of your faith. And so a lot of people will, will um, have a problem with the Christian faith because we say it's by faith alone. And, and so they think, oh, they can go live however they want and still be saved. But the reality of this is, is that we don't do it out of duty to make God happy with us. We do it out of love and gratitude that God did everything for us. We just want to love him back and live righteously and not spit in his face and continuously to drag him and his name down in the mud with us when we're hanging out in the mud. And so there's this call to live a righteous life and living righteously protects us from the enemy. Because when we are living in sin, when we're living in unrepentant sin, we're giving the devil a foothold in our lives to come in. It's like we have those cracks in the armor. The armor's not full. We have weak armor when we choose to live a lifestyle opposed to God and when we try to make justifications and, and excuses for it. And so we can protect ourselves after God protects us through our own lifestyle in the way in which we live. 1 Corinthians 1.30, though, says, Because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. And I hope you understand throughout all of this stuff, at the end of the day, all of this armor comes from God. We don't conjure it up in our own power, in our own religiosity, in our own works. It's saying, I give you all this armor. All you got to do is just put it on and realize there's a war. Every single day, put it on. Be reminded of the things that I have given you, the things that I have done for you. Next piece of the armor is the shoes of the gospel of peace. It says for shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you'll be fully prepared. Now, part of this, another translation calls it the gospel of peace. Why is it the gospel of peace? Because we are born enemies of God. We weren't born as children of God, as so many people think, but the Bible says that we were created at, at, at one time through procreation under Adam and Eve, all of that human nature passed down and we received a soul and a spirit at the moment of birth. We didn't exist before the world began. This isn't a test somehow in that we're sent down here and however you do decides where you go, which is a lie, a false teaching that other religions believe. But no, we were created, but we fell and now we have this nature. And then as a result of that, 
We were born as enemies of God. We're at war with God in the beginning. Our spiritual warfare before we become a Christian is with God. We are children of wrath headed to hell is what the Bible says. And that's why salvation is so important, trusting in Jesus so that we can jump sides and be saved by him. And so the gospel of peace is just that. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ is what the Bible says. We've been reconciled with him. Now we've jumped sides. And so, so we get to experience the peace of God through the gospel of peace with him. But there's also a peace that comes from knowing that we're with him. There's a peace from knowing that he did it all that can help me to endure through so many different trials. And as a Christian, as we're called to do warfare, it's not all defensive. We are actually supposed to go out there and share the gospel. This was the whole reason we were saved in the first place. It's not just so that we're adopted, but that we can go out and get more kids for God to be adopted, for God to adopt. There's more people that God wants to save, and he wants to use you and me. And so we're called to be soldiers for Christ Romans 10, 15, it says, And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, How beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. See, the whole thing about the shoes is this readiness to go. When Jesus gave the great commission, he said, Go make disciples. There's a readiness. This is when you're not living in your purpose, and I believe every Christian has been called to the purpose of evangelism which is to share the good news, that's what that means. When you're not living in that, then, then yes, you're going to feel like you're not, you know, as healthy as you could be because you're not doing what you were created to do, what you were reborn and made to do. You're living outside of the will of God when you're not sharing the word of God and the good news. We're called to be soldiers, as I said. Paul puts it like this in 2 Timothy 2. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It's interesting here to think about it. You know, we, we weren't called to just be on the sidelines, but we are called to a war as a good soldier to fight a fight. We are taking this message to the ends of the earth. The Bible says that the gates of hell won't be able to stand against the church. And so that's an offensive position if we're going against gates, which is a fortified defensive position. And he says we're called to be good soldiers. And here's another interesting thing about that is that last sentence. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. How many times do we get pulled off track by the world? We're in the military, we're in this army, but yet we want to go out into the world and party like the world. You know, I've known many people who've been in the military and there's definitely partying in the military as well. My dad had a lot of stories to tell me about being in the Navy and stuff like that, but like you go off to boot camp and you, you, you've like, you're kind of like, they, they say it like this, is I've signed my life away or I've signed my name away, right? Like you are going under the authority of and the control of someone else 
of the government to go fight in a war and you're being trained for as such and and it's expected that you're not that you're not entangled in a bunch of other stuff that's going on because you're off at boot camp, right? You're not entangled with everything that's going on in the world. And that is the problem I see with me and with every other Christian is we get entangled with all kinds of worldly things and we forget to go out there as a soldier of Christ because it's like we have this struggle. We don't want to be bold. You know, we don't want to be bold. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to rub people the wrong way. We want people to like us. We want everybody to be happy with us. And I remember Jesus said, you know, he said, woe to you to those who speak well of you. Don't you know that the world hated Jesus Christ and they will hate you as well? But we're, we have this idea that, that we're going to go out and do it a different way than the first century Christians did. We're going to go out and just kind of just meld in there a little bit, pretend like we're just like them, and at the right time, somehow I can say, Jesus loves you, and then it's like, oh, I did my job. I did my job, Lord. That was a tough fight. That was, and I know, look, like I, I'm being, this is my personality. I don't want you to take it the wrong way, <laughs> okay? I am, I am, I've been saved from a lot of stuff in my life, from a chaotic lifestyle, I've been through hell in my own life, and I'm so thankful that God enlisted and recruited me to do his work. Because my old life, following the world, the flesh, and the devil, um, only brought me nothing but pain and heartache and suffering. And so I see this, I'm so passionate about following the Lord. The Bible says that I was bought with a price, my life is not my own anymore constantly seeking my own pleasures and my own desire. Yeah, do I get blessing? And yes, is there happiness? And is there joy in this life? Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's all for him. Like, and I don't want to live for myself anymore. And I hope that you guys are inspired to do the same thing. Let's move on to the next piece of armor, the shield of faith. Our faith, linked up with others, creates a wall of defense. Now, before I talk about our faith with others, I want you to understand Faith, in its very definition in Hebrews 11, says faith is the, the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, okay? And so, or the confidence in the things not seen. So those are all kind of synonyms to the word faith, confidence, assurance, hope. Um, and so, and then he goes on in Hebrews 11, and it's this, the hall of faith, if you go look at it, he recounts all these lives of people in the Old Testament who suffered through terrible trials and all kinds of things that happened to them, and even goes into the New Testament. He talks about like, like Daniel thrown into the lion's den, but then he talks about Christians, even, even that they had even witnessed, the author of Hebrews witnessed Christians being sawn in two or burned at the stake by their government, all right? And and. And, and this whole chapter is called, like, they're being commended for their faith. And faith, then, in, helps us to endure through troubling times, tough times. Faith helps us to see past things that there's no, it doesn't seem like there's any way out of this. There's no way out of this situation that I'm in or for this person. But faith allows us to say, no, but God's got this. 
God has brought all these people in God's word, the, the witnesses that we see in the Bible of all the things that God does, and there should be enough evidence alone for us to say, okay, God's got this situation. Whether it's a sickness, whether it's a job loss, whether you've had someone pass, whether you're struggling. I hate to bring this up again. I did it last service and I cried, but you know, there's been a lot going on during this series of spiritual warfare. I don't think I ever want to do a series on spiritual warfare again because it started all kinds of spiritual warfare. I will though, okay? But, you know, like coming into this building, it's an amazing thing that today's a grand opening and what God's brought us through to, to this place. All the crazy things that lined up when the, the odds were stacked against us. And even in the last couple of months, you know, the thing that your pastor had to deal with his father passing and then his brother getting in a wreck and, and all along Mike has been such this, this great example of faith and even his father, his father when he was struggling with cancer and everybody knew, you know, he, he just kept saying he knew where he was going and that it was going to be okay and Mike has had that same faith and it's been such a, an example to me and some of the other pastors that God's got this. Even in terrible, tough times, when things, the odds are stacked against us, God's got this. He's done it. I know you guys have things in your life that you can say if you're a Christian here today that God brought me through trials. Why do I doubt sometimes, you know? That's what he's talking about with this shield of faith because the devil will come and say, no, why does God allow evil in your life? He must not be good, right? Or, or, or God's allowing this and he's punishing you because of the way you've been living. And Satan is throwing these fiery darts at us, getting us to doubt the goodness of God and getting us to doubt that God is sovereign and that he's in control, but our faith is the shield to that. And why do I think it's important um, to be linked up with others? As we've talked about in Hebrews 11, getting to see the example. It, it starts then in chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. You see the language that God uses it's a war, it's a battle, it's a race. One must have endurance, and to have endurance, it takes faith. And sometimes we need our faith to be built up, not just by the word of God, but by God's people as well, to see their examples, like Mike's been in my life. To have people in our Bible studies and fellowship that can guard us where we're unguarded. You see, a, a shield by itself you're guarding the front part of you, and you can get those darts, but the sides and the back are exposed. Um, back the way they did it um, in, with Roman soldiers in, 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 a, in, a, in an attack, especially when arrows were being shot at them from far away, what they would do is they would all band together. You've probably seen this in movies and stuff, but they'd band together, and they would all link up shields, and it almost looked like a, like a turtle shell on the ground, and these arrows would be coming in, but they would, because they were guarded by every side, because they were in a group, they were linked arm in arm as soldiers with other people, those arrows couldn't penetrate this shield. And so for you and me, what Paul is saying here is these two things. Faith helps you to look at what God has done. And people in your life 
remind you and help you to keep that faith going. Next piece of armor, the assurance of salvation that comes from the, the helmet, the helmet of salvation. Put on salvation as your helmet. This helmet protects, obviously, visually, your mind, your brain, right? The way that you think. And so, why is it called the helmet of salvation? Because we doubt our salvation sometimes, and, and the devil likes to accuse us. You know, Paul mentions this in another place, 1 Thessalonians 5.8, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, or another translation, sober-minded. I've talked about how when we use substances or chemicals and we get out of our mind that we allow Satan to come in it and to take control of us. But he says, be be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. You see, Satan is called the accuser of the brethren, Re- Revelation 12.10. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night. Satan will be defeated once and for all, and the hope of our salvation is that evil will be gone and we'll be with God forever and sin will be no more. But the point of this verse that I want you to take out of that is part of Satan's job is not only to twist the scripture to, to, to attack our faith, but to also get us to doubt that our faith is true, that it's by faith alone in Christ alone. There's so many lies out there in the world and in religion that say, you've got to keep up your end of the bargain with God, otherwise you're going to lose your salvation. If you don't follow this list of rules, then God's just going to say, you know, I saved you before and that that death applied to you, but somehow you worked your way out of it. I gave you eternal life, but it's not eternal anymore. I'm taking it away. Like so many people think that we began by grace, But then now we've got to work the rest of our lives for this gift that God gave us. We will fail all the time with this this flesh and this problem that we have inside of us. When Christ saved us, don't you think as an omniscient being, God himself, when he saved us, when he died on the cross, don't you think that he was able to say, well, I'm going to say, like, I save you now and my sins Your sins are atoned for past, present, and future. Or was he only saying, I'm atoning for your sins only in the past, but from now on you will have to continuously fall at the the cross and confess everything that you've ever done. Can anybody remember all the sins that they have ever done? It's impossible. But there are religions that actually teach this that you've got to try to remember every single sin that you've ever done and then confess it and, and do all these certain things to finally get back into God's good graces. But the Bible says in Hebrews actually that he died once for all time. God's an omniscient being and if you're a child of God, he has saved you even though he looked at your life from beginning to end. He adopted you and said, I love you in spite of you. That's how powerful the cross is. That's how powerful the sacrifice of Jesus is. And Satan wants to minimize it and get us to doubt and to question our salvation. But it's simple. Even John tells us, I write this so that you may know that you have eternal life. 
Paul in Romans 8.38, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That is the helmet of our assurance of salvation. You can know God loves you in spite of the things that you do because it's his covenant with you. It's not a bargain between you and him. That's how good God is. That's why he deserves all the praise and worship. Last thing, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The Spirit uses God's Word in our hands to drive off the enemy. If you ever remember Jesus in the wilderness battling Satan, he uses the Bible three times to say, no, this is what the Word says. You're trying to, you're trying to twist it. And so, so here's the thing. If you're a Christian, you better learn how to use that sword. You better learn how to take that in your hand and wield that and carry it with you every single day Because there are going to be a lot of lies thrown at us. There's going to be a lot of attacks against us. And we're going to need to know the word of God. We're going to need to know how to speak it out loud. We're going to need to know how to preach it to our friends. We're going to have to have a love for God that makes us want to get into the word as much as we can. On a daily basis, a discipline. So I, I need those words in me. Psalm 119 says, I've stored up your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. I love that verse, you know, is is the more I'm in the word, the more I'm convicted that I go out and I live my life, I can say, no, that's a lie. No, that's a sin. No, I don't have to live that way. No, the Lord's word says this and that, just like Jesus said to Satan in the wilderness, thus saith the Lord about every situation that we come up against. It is not just some book, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. This is how we're going to battle those three enemies, the world and the flesh and the devil. It comes in on the inside and cuts out that stony, stubborn heart that we have and gives us this ability to discern, to discern between good and evil. It's not just some book with, with cool words on it that were written, you know, between 3,000 and 2,000 years ago. This is the very breathed word of God in, in the way in which he decided to communicate to human beings. Without it, we wouldn't have the belt of truth, the basis of truth. Without it, we wouldn't have the moral truth that we try to live by. Without it, we wouldn't have the good news, the gospel. We wouldn't have the assurance of our salvation. But since we have all of this bound up in the truth from the word of God, this is where we're going to get our armor from. Every day we've got to be prepared to pull that armor out and use it. Again, a, a verse, this is my last verse, Paul says this in Isaiah 11, I think again is a place where he used part of this. From the Old Testament, the earth will shake at the force of his word, and one breath from his mouth will destroy the wicked. He will wear righteousness like a belt and truth like an undergarment. Again, it's like this this visualization of putting on clothes, putting on armor, realizing that, Christian, you and I are in a war and in a fight every day. We've got to realize that in order to fight this fight. We've got to realize that to even have the the desire to want to put on armor. If we want to go out into the world, 
not ready for battle, then expect spiritual warfare to come in and cause more damage than it ever could have. But for you and for me, brothers and sisters, we've got the armor of God. He provided everything that we need to fight this fight. We have no worry or concern. And the greatest thing about this is that with one word, Christ will come and destroy all wickedness one day. From the sword of his mouth, Revelation says the same thing. He will come and destroy the devil, the enemy, and one day the hope of our salvation will lead us to ultimate victory in Jesus Christ. Would you guys pray with me? Father, thank you for leading us, for not leaving us alone, um, but giving us everything we need to fight this battle. Lord, we don't fully understand everything about the spiritual realm and the world and angels and demons, but we have what you've written and told us. And by what you've given us and the truth that we understand, Lord, give us the ability to see with spiritual eyes the war that we're in. Help us to understand uh, our assurance of salvation and faith and just ultimately the victory we already have in you. We trust you in all of this and help us to be good soldiers for you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.